Welcome to Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Reverend Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church, Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner at Dendros Group. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group and Counter Stories producer. And I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indian. And uh, Luz Maria Frias, of course, couldn't be with us as we talk about some of these things as with her role as Deputy Attorney General of the state of Minnesota. So we've we've brought on uh, Brother Toussaint Morrison, who um, works in the front lines of a lot of the work here, is one of the reasons why I stay informed about a lot of things myself. And so, um, and we go all the way back to the University of Minnesota, uh, participating in Voices Merging Poetry Collective. So welcome, Brother Toussaint. Thank you, Anthony. Man, this is a blast from the past. I'm, I'm so honored to be back here, and, and thank you so much for having me on. So, of course, for, for those who are listening, um, yet again in Minnesota, we are ground zero for yet another again uh, an extrajudicial killing of a black man in the United States. Um, if you have not been following, Amir Locke was killed with mere seconds um, after a whole bunch of questionable practices, warrants, and and calls for support between the police, police departments, ultimately uh, resulting in police uh, issuing uh, doing a no-knock uh, warrant and killing this man within seconds of interaction where he had no way, there was no way uh, for him to do anything different other than be yet again uh, the, reci- the recipient of this injustice. And so, we're going to talk a little bit about the day. We've got questions. We've got wonderings. We're going to be, be unpacking some of the things that are stuck out to us. Um, but ultimately, unfortunately, as we have started uh, 12 years ago, when we started Counter Stories, we started out just wanting to have some of the nuanced conversations amongst our communities, our various communities, and we have been hit back to back to back with the extrajudicial killing of people in our communities at the hands of law enforcement. And so here we are again, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So what's coming up for you all today, y'all? I think when this topic, you know, when I heard about the shooting, it was, and I've said this before, and I don't know how many times I'm going to have to say it was like, oh, um, shoot. (laughs) I'll say, oh, shoot. Uh, You know, not again. Right. It was an immediate, like, concern. And, and you know, for folks out there who don't know, like, what my role when I say I'm a producer is, it's really lining up the topics and any guests that we have doing the research behind it. So, of course, I've got topics on my mind. We, we've talked about what we were going to do for this week's show. And we have to throw all that out, right? Because this is so, it's just like, it, it, it takes me back to when we first started with NPR was like, oh, let's talk about issues or even like great things happening within our own communities. But we were bombarded one after another of shootings of black men. And it just didn't seem to stop. It didn't seem that we had the opportunity to talk about any of the fun stuff happening in our communities because we were constantly dealing with this. And it's exhausting for me. So it must be super exhausting for you guys. Well, you know, I think that, um, um, yeah, for me, it, it you know after our uh, last podcast, and in fact, I think it was you know just a couple of weeks ago we had we had uh, Toussaint on with us, and and so our our discussion at that time was slightly different, and and since that time, you know, it it began with the I think the narrative that most of us heard is that uh, MPD was uh, on a no knock warrant went in and a uh, black male was killed. And, you know, that, that was the immediate 
release that we all, well, most of us heard on, on local media. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it, it's like, well, wait a minute. We're, we're, we're still trying to get through the trial of, uh, right now we, we have the, uh, federal case, federal civil rights case, um, happening in St. Paul with the, the other three that were involved with the, uh, murder of George Floyd, let alone just getting over the trial of, um, of, uh, the young man out in uh, Brooklyn Center, Brooklyn Park, Dante. And so, you know, we have all these, we're, we're still kind of processing those two big events because his killing happened during the trial of George the week Floyd. we I got mean, the verdict. Exactly. I mean, and so, you know, it's like, well, wait a minute. And, and um, so then this happened, but when they released that video, you know, my wife and I were sitting and we're watching the news when they, and we saw the video and, and my, my better half, she actually screamed after she saw that video. It was that horrific. And, and seeing that video was like, oh no, here we go again, because it has, it, it didn't line up with the narrative that had been sent out to us that media was was telling us and i was in shock i mean my whole body just i reacted i just emotionally reacted because i couldn't believe the minneapolis police department was doing it again it was like nothing that is nothing that has happened here has changed anything there's been no change whatsoever in the behavior of the Minneapolis Police Department. Brother Toussaint, I know you're on the front lines, you know, having to, 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 to you know, be on the organizing side of this. I'm really curious, given that we've been here so many times so recently, you know, I, I just, I, I'm really curious about, about how this came to you uh, when things went down. Well, I mean, there's two ways that it, I, I think that it presents itself where it's a, it's a binary way of dealing uh, I, I have a lot of anxiety when it comes to uh, attending um, press conferences, uh, marches, events, rallies. I, I have a fair amount of anxiety, and it's, it's kind of grown over time, uh, where it's just become different. And so personally, uh, I was afraid that, and this is selfishly for my, my own well-being, I was like, oh, man, can I will I be able to be okay and, and show up to these things again and, and speak about this, you know, like, cause it's, it's, it's on a loop now. Mm. And that, that was, that was one thing. And it, I think kind of busted through that wall, but that, that's the first thing that I think about is like, I, can I, can I leave my house? Mm. And, it, and that's just the feeling. It's just the feeling. Uh, there's a comic book where there's a, a guy that gets called out to like go and like basically do some task and like there's pages you scroll by and he's, he's apparently agoraphobic and he's just standing in the doorway and you're like, why isn't he leaving? He's like, cause his anxiety is like paralyzed him. And that's, that's just how I feel sometimes. But then the other side of it is, um, once you're engaged with it, it's like, wow, same leadership, same products. Here we are again. And that once, once, once you're in it and you just start like turning over the pages and you learn that, you know, Dalble and Sunberg, uh, two of the Minneapolis police that were in an unmarked cargo van shooting at protesters days after George Floyd's murder by the MPD uh, were part of the, uh, the, the, the force tasked with going into this, um, 
this this apartment. Uh, oh, there was some uh, some classmates of mine from South High School that are part of uh, the the task force that raided this apartment. Mm. Oh, oh. Um, there's the the, the no knock warrant was supposed to have been like reformed back in fall of 2020. We were sold on that by mm-hmm. by Jacob Fry, and and so the, what what happened initially was, oh, they lied. Hmm. Nothing that they said is true. They said they'd change. They said that there would be different. There would be something different. There would be a, a different route. Nothing's changed. The, See, like, in my really, mind, in my mind, I was like, I must have misunderstood that yeah. the no knock thing had happened. I thought, I thought, oh, I thought that that was passed already in Minneapolis. I must have misunderstood. It Whereas was lukewarm policy. Like, no, they lied, right? Yeah, you said it was. You said lukewarm policy. Yeah, that's what, what someone because what what they did was they they outlawed or they said they couldn't do no knocks when it involved drugs, but if it involves mm. terrorism or oh, homicide, they okay, can do okay. they can they can go for the no knock. However, this mm. is searching for property um, involving a homicide, and so that happens. <laughs> then there's the other end of it, where the media lies along with the cops. And the one thing that Kima Levy-Armstrong asked interim police chief Amelia Huffman to do was watch the body cam footage and then speak. And apparently Amelia watched it and said, um, said that Mark Hanneman was burdened with this split second decision. Hmm. But in, in therapy, what we talk about, we talk about this acronym called DARVO, which is deflect and reverse victim order. So Anthony, if, if you, you know, you see kids playing, you know, you got kids. And if one kid A was to hit kid B, you know, like, like punch him and then kid B falls down and you're like, whoa, kid B got messed up. But then kid A says, you know, grabs their hand and says, oh, my hand hurts so much. That's hmm. Darvo. So it's saying that, you know, kid A, they suffered so much, too, because they, they hurt their hand punching that kid. Mm-hmm. So he, kill, he, he kills Amir Locke in, in, in their nine seconds, which in Amir Locke's waking hour, waking life was probably less than two seconds. Um, and then they they make Mark Hanneman out to be the the victim. Like he had this tough choice to make. No, he didn't. Not in my eyes, at least. I mean, he didn't he didn't have a tough choice to make. He usually police or what I'm told, when they do a no-knock, they rest at the door. And they, they usually have shields uh, on these no-knock warrants. And then they just keep shouting, police, everybody come out, police, everybody come out. You know, so everybody has a chance to like get up and like orient mm-hmm. themselves with what's going mm-hmm. on. This mm-hmm. looks something like out of like I, I don't even know how to describe it. It looks like something out of, like out of a dictatorship. Like it, you, do, you it doesn't look right. You have a key to get into the door. Like you watch yeah. them open the door. It, it was like there was there was it was designed to have the outcome that was there. That's that's the only takeaway. And 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 I was not going to. I had made a commitment because George Floyd caught me because mm-hmm. I saw that video and I had vowed prior to that not to watch these videos. Mm-hmm. And George mm-hmm. Floyd caught me because I was like, what's going on? And before I knew it, boom, here we are because I'm watching it in the tail end of the live stream. And I'm like, oh, wait, 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 what just happened? Did they just kill him? And now I'm in this space where, where this video pops onto the screen. I'm stuck in Panama at this time, right? I'm, I'm, I'm quarantining so that I can come back to the United States. And all of a sudden this comes across a news burden and I'm, I'm sitting in a space where there's other expats in the same little area doing the same thing, waiting um, to test negative, to come back to the United States. And 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 all of a sudden, I can I remember, because clear as day, there was this brother at the table next to me, and he looks up, 
And because he looked up, I looked up because I'm trying to figure out what's going on, right? One person in the community move, we all move. What's going on, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the screen and both of we all we see is a police opening the key of the door and we're like, what is this going on? We see the break at Ruffle and then we see we see the 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 flash and stop of the video. And we both look at each other and I remember I remember clear as day. The brother looks up and goes, Did they just shoot that mother? Like, like yeah. all chill was lost. And now Everybody in that hotel lobby in Panama is looking at this screen and we're having to explain this repeat condition. And then once they realized I was from Minnesota, I mean, the conversation oh, yeah. just went. Mm-hmm. I mean, Minnesota, me is known, again. Minnesota is known for what now? Killing black men and a pillow guy. You know, like, yeah. those are those are those are what we, we're known for now. It's it's so disappointing. Yeah. No, the, the pillow guy. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that was a brilliant documentary. Um, I'm curious, did, did, when you, when you all saw the video, did it kind of confirm what you thought you already knew? Like, after watching it, you're like, (laughs) it, I think that, um, well, one, you know, as, as growing up here, you, you, um, I, I never can take anything I hear on media for face value. And when it and when it's an interaction in between Minneapolis police and communities of color, I never take what I hear at face value mm-hmm. because I've been on the other end of that uh, of, of some of those interactions with with Minneapolis police, and um, and so you know it's it's with caution. I think what was shocking, what 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 numbed my my being was that it, it happened again in a space where we're trying to get over the last two previous police killings of young black men of black men here in the twin cities and we haven't had a chance as a community to heal from that cuz we like i said we, we we have the the trial going on in St. Paul you know, the one just ended for Dante, and here we are again. I mean, it, it's like this constant assault on our bodies, on our beings, on our psyche. Part of the frustration is that with George Floyd, there was such a huge worldwide reckoning of of the social injustice, of the need to look at and and make changes to this uh systemic changes to this racialized system we have here in the twin cities that we have in this country and yet nothing has changed and we keep getting the same rhetoric you know the same thing is playing out uh, you know we see we see movements across this country and here in Minnesota to criminalize protests again to the very the very vehicle that's left to us to be able to stand up and speak out, there are efforts to criminalize that. We're seeing efforts to to uh, 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 take away our vote, and you throw that on, and we have movements now running rampant in this country, where if you can't teach anything, if it's going to make little Johnny or little Mary cry or feel bad about themselves. I mean, this is the moment that we find ourselves in, 
And it's like, it's like, you know, for the past 50 years, I felt we as a country were moving in a, in a, uh, progressive kind of healing space. And here we are. So, so, so that loop, right? Every, everybody's mentioned some form of this loop that we are, are constantly doing and, and, and going through and, and, and the re-traumatizing space of that. Um, but another part of my brain, as I looked at that, as I think about your question, uh, Toussaint, is, is a big part of my mind started to go, okay, what is the spin about to be? Because now I got to know, I know exactly, I, I got to start thinking about how folks are going to try to make this thing make sense. Mm-hmm, and even mm-hmm, where I was sitting mm-hmm. in Panama, the brother next to me, he goes, you know, really, you know, they, they set the cops up for this. And I'm like, eh, that's re- already within seconds of watching the same thing. We're already to the point of trying to take care of the people meeting out the injustice. And, and, and so that was coming through my mind. At the same time, that point that's there underlining what he had just said, right? We've got a system that produces this outcome. No, not warrants. There's so much data out there about the the ineffectiveness of these warrants on policing itself, let alone the negative outcomes for all the folks around. And we are still, you know, we, 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 we haven't learned and we're still making this case. And then, and then I watched the press conference where, where Nakima checks and challenges uh, uh, Jacob Fry and the police chief and they've got nothing, right? And and all of the people, all the reporters who are trying to get these answers, and it's just not adding up. And 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 you know, one of their aides pulls the plug and says, "That's all for now," and gets them out of there as quick as possible because they 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 ain't got nothing. <laughs> Here's a clip from that uh, press conference where Nakima Levy Armstrong uh, confronted uh, Mayor Fry and uh, interim Chief Huffman. And here, what we are seeing is business. As usual. And you know this, Amelia. You know this, Jacob. I don't know how you guys slept that night. It's not acceptable. We are ready for change. When the people voted to reelect you, Jacob, they not only showed that they wanted to see a new leader, right? Not saying you're not the person who got reelected, you got reelected. But what they were expecting is a new beginning. That's why they gave you more power and authority. So that is what we want to see as the residents of Minneapolis. We don't want to see cover-ups. We don't want to see whitewashing. People are asking very simple questions that have still not been answered. Amelia, you're saying you want to be the chief? Then act like it. Demonstrate integrity. In a press release, if you didn't know. If you didn't know. No, no. Was anyone apprehended as part of this? I mean, that was a second round of infuriating space where I'm like, at, at least come prepared. And then, and then I got to turn around and start reading folks and say, Paul, they were like, look, we ain't asking them to do that stuff. Look, hold up. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so now everybody, all this stuff is starting to come out. And so what are some of the, um, you know, Tucson, as you've, have you been, been seeing these, what are some of those red flag contradictions that you have been seeing as you, because you, you said it, I think, more directly than, than, than I was at the beginning of this. They were flat out lies that were coming to us at the beginning of this. So, so what were some of those lies that were coming out for folks who may not have been following? Well, one of the lies was that Amir Locke was a suspect. So mm-hmm. I believed in the documentary The 13th uh, on Netflix, 
the phrasing for black people being property goes from slave to Negro to, you know, N-word to uh, criminal. And it's just mm -hmm. a different way of sizing us up as property or less than human. And now this word suspect gets thrown mm -hmm. out. When Amir was not a suspect, and we had to learn that from his family, mm. that he was not a suspect. So that was the first lie, that he was a suspect. Second lie, Amelia Huffman said that he pointed the gun, I believe she said he pointed the gun at Officer Mark Henneman. However, uh, Amir Locke was a licensed gun owner with a, a permit to conceal and carry. And he had had training. And Marquise Armstrong, Nakima's husband, illustrated this at the... Uh, the press conference, he said that he had the sense of mind when you grab your gun, mm -hmm. if you don't have a target, you don't raise it. Right. Uh, and then once you get something in the crosshairs, then you put your finger on the trigger and you, you put down the safety. He had his finger still extended out and the gun was pointed at the ground. Now, unless there was a cop that was laying on the ground, it, was pointed at, it wasn't pointed at anybody. So there was no harm. Uh, so that's the second line. The third lie is that they announced themselves at the door. Mm -hmm. They silently used the key fob to open it they broke the barrier of entry and then started screaming over one another, over one another, mm -hmm. like a chorus of shouts. So I'm sure, you know, for everybody who has kids or has been awoken by, you know, barking dogs or anything like that, there is a sense of deliriousness in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And they also said that Amir was a deep, his family said Amir was a deep, was a deep sleeper. So th that's the third lie. The third lie was that they, they announced themselves at the door. They did mm -hmm. not. Um, which also, that's the one thing that could hold up in court. Unfortunately, a lot of this looks like nothing, there's really no charges to be brought. So oh. from, from my conversations with folks in law, they're, they're looking at it as there's a lot of ways that they can lean on um, the video to exonerate themselves. But, but getting to that later, um, Amir was a deep sleeper, his family said, and, and that he, he really didn't move or we saw any movement until... Mark Hanneman kicked the couch and started mm -hmm. calling him MFR. <laughs> now, the one thing where Mark leaves the door open a little bit is there's nowhere in any, you know, guidebook for police where it says shouting police during a no-knock raid, the more you repeat it, the worse it gets. Mm -hmm. They're taught to keep repeating police, 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 police. They stop yelling police by the time they, they cross that kitchen. Mm. Mark Hanneman kicks the couch and says, get on the ground, MFR. Now, coming out of deep sleep, that's all you're hearing. You can imagine what, what the reality was for Amir at that point. That wouldn't really be on your mind to think that it was police because Mark Hanneman didn't say he was police mm -hmm. uh, upon Amir's waking seconds. I'm interested to see how people are gonna turn this around and say he should have complied. It was nine seconds. He was deep asleep. I mean, you know, there could be a car crash in front of my house. And if I'm asleep, I, I wouldn't hear it. This, this is, that is not only an excellent point, you know, it, it's, I have start to see it crack along the lines of discourse circles. So part of my work and job is to have, is to get folks talking across their stuff and unpacking their stuff together in racial and cultural discourse spaces. And one of the things that is starting to come out of those discourse spaces now from not only my church congregations, but folks in community in the spaces is already there's this sense of uh, from folks in my communities that I'm not going to get the police involved because I know what the outcomes could be. 
now I'm thinking this is going to go to another level because now departments got to think about whether or not they're going to get other departments involved because of what 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 happens here. Like I can sit there thinking I'm not calling MPD to be involved in anything mm-hmm. because I see what they do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I just, there's, there are these, um, there, there is something that we are not addressing and not willing to address. And, and I just, I can think of the minds of folks who were, who were saying, you know, we don't want to abolish because there's nothing else, you know, to, 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 to take its place. And now we're coming back to a space of folks going, man, I have a feeling we're going to be revisiting the abolish conversation for MPD because even with the quote unquote new directions that was implied or inferred that was going to be happening, here we are again. And so, you know, as we start thinking about that, I know there's calls for Huffman to step down. I know there's calls for 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 Fry to step down because we got lied to and there's not movement in this specific area, which just makes all the sense in the world. Like you, you got to be called to question for this. You know, given what you just said about there, um, uh, uh, unfortunately, not being a whole lot of areas to do any charging of the individuals, I'm actually, when I hear you say that, I'm actually kind of, <laughs> I want to be careful how I say this, but but that doesn't bother me as much. Only because now we are forced to have to hold systems accountable and not scapegoat the officers involved for a condition and environment and a culture that has been produced there. We can't pawn it away off of individuals in this case. We have to address the system as itself. And I think, I think that's an important step forward. That's a great point because it, it's collusion. I mean, it's, it's a cooperative to the highest level. To the very highest level where Judge Peter Cahill oh, authored the no that. knock. <laughs> yeah, authored the no knock for this raid. He was also the he also gave the go-ahead for the raid of Dalal Eid's house, where his family was zip tied and um the, their property was destroyed uh after they had killed Dalal Eid. Uh Judge Cahill was also the judge presiding over the Derek Chauvin trial. Mm-hmm. That goes in the hands of St. Paul police. They said that they didn't sign off on a no-knock warrant, but that the MPD insisted upon it. And then the MPD goes in. Mark Hanneman takes administrative leave. The BCA is going to, uh, they're going to investigate. The BCA, also uh, otherwise known as the Bureau of Cop Apologists, uh, run by Drew Evans. <laughs> Drew Evans used to work with Mona Doman. Mona Doman was the former head of the U.S. Marshals here in Minnesota, appointed by Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Mona Doman signed off on the killing of Winston Smith. Mm-hmm. So and the BCA, all, all, the BCA, for those listening, is is um, technically called the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. <laughs> yes, I like the new acronym better. <laughs> it, it is and the BCA is fascinating in that it's it's kind of like the NFL's own set of lawyers. You know, when they say we're going to yeah. do an internal investigation, it's like, of course you are. You know, you're right. not going to. <laughs> You're not going to get somebody outside with some type of uh, objective viewpoint. So, right. say Tucson, I, I I'm still processing that comment you made, and and while I you know don't disagree, I think with with Anthony's, um, I think um, feedback about how you know this hopefully is going to make some systemic changes. There's a part of me that that still can't believe, and I'm not disagreeing with you, the fact that that we watched this 
and may have to deal with the fact that there may be no charges. I mean, that, that, um, makes me ill. It should. I mean, it should. And that, and what, what Anthony was getting at, I mean, at the end of the day, it's an entire system. And, and, a lot, and, and the mayor lied about no-knock warrants. But to, to sell us on, you know, hey, vote for me, I'm going to make some change. And not only did no change come, it, it ended in the most catastrophic way. A young man was shot and killed, even if he was guilty. Guilty hmm. people deserve to be taken to court. Come on. So, I mean, I understand that Dalal Eid was on the record they were looking for him. Still deserves his day in court. A lot of people forget about um, not, a not-so-young man. He was an older white man named uh, Jason Michael Message in mm. Bloomington. He had killed his neighbors. I think there were two young black women. Then he killed his wife. And he was in the basement with the gun and just shooting rounds out of the basement. And the Bloomington police force was able to take him in alive. Come on. Uh, and so it, it shows you that police are able to do their job. And Jacob, Jake, Jason uh, Michael Message was a white man, by the way. It shows you that police are able to do their job when they want to. Now, that whether you're an abolitionist or you're a reformer, um, that's it, 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 neither here nor there. They're able to do their job when they, they want to. And in this case, they did not do it. And Mark Henneman, at the least, should be let go. Um, mm. The union's going to fight tooth and nail about it. But, um, yeah. That, that's what I was told from people that uh, know a lot more than me. So, Well, and, and this, this, this gets at, you know, Don, you had talked about earlier about your encounters with Minneapolis Police Department. I've got encounters with Minneapolis Police Department. You know, there, there, there are so many of us who, who can go and collect stories. I, can't, I will never forget. Um, and, Lee, I think you came in with me. We were, we were um, a group of us went and held space for folks in a couple of different organizations where to just hold space to process what was going on. Uh, an older sister, she is an, a community, she's an elder, um, and she was processing the moment and she lived in the area of the third precinct. And she talked about the fact that she spent so many years having to worry about her children, in particular her sons and her nephews in that area, not for generally for about police, but just generally, generally about the poli- the Minneapolis Police Department, in particular that third precinct, and she talks about from the moment of the killing of George Floyd, she had a hard time sleeping. She could, she was tossing and turning because all of this was all of this worry was coming to fruition until the third precinct burned. She said that was the first night of sleep that she got. Now, this is not an advocacy for for anything. I'm trying to il- illustrate the fact that folks have been traumatized not just by police but in particular this police department in so many different ways for so many different years and have had to figure out how to process it and at some point something (laughs) you know needs to give and for her she was like i slept like a baby that night right it was great that nobody got hurt it was great that all that was lost was property and i got good sleep knowing that there weren't going to be people marshalling to whoop my child's black ass her direct quote and, and that's another reason why we have to address the culture mm. within law enforcement, right? We can't just keep picking out the guys who who do these shootings or the, the men or women who end up killing people. We need to address the culture within the departments that 
makes it seem cool to be the one shooting your gun or, you know, to call somebody a mother effer that you've never met before that's asleep on a couch, right? Like, Well, not, not just culture. It's, it's a culture reinforced by biases. So, mm-hmm. you know, Toussaint mm-hmm. gave mm-hmm. us a, uh, an example. You know, I have a couple more. There was, I don't, I don't remember the name of the gentleman, but he, he had had an altercation at a, at a large store and, uh, the police show up and they, uh, he hops in his pickup truck. A cop hops on the side of his pickup truck. This guy beats the cop with a hammer mm-hmm. and, uh, he's apprehended. Something came up on my news feed of a white male being chased by Roseville police. He shoots at the police. He's apprehended. This just happened. So when we, when we look at not just, you know, um, uh, the culture of a police department, we have, I have always said it's those biases that many of those police officers bring with them that fuels that type of culture because people, white folks can shoot and beat police and get arrested and not shot. So I'm, I'm a, (laughs) y'all bringing it out. Okay. I'm 12 years old. I'm living on the East side case, um, right near Wilder uh, playground. Um, I'm living in a duplex. I'm upstairs. Um, the police come in and, and I could, I could see lights from my window, which made me wake up my stepdad and my stepmom who, who all immediately start to realize, oh, somebody around here is being raided. All of a sudden they bust into the base, to the, the lower unit of our duplex where the landlord lived and, and are busting them on a drug raid. My, my, my stepfather goes to the back door. Now he's no, no, no angel himself. But at this point, that that part of his life hadn't started. And so he goes to the back door and he's trying to figure out who's busting in. And they proceed to drag him down the steps and beat his royal behind, um, mm. you know, on, on the bravado because everybody's other was hocked up. Um, we were not a subject of any other raid. We weren't a part of it. They even knew that we were a duplex. I even hear over the radios to, to be careful. There's a family living upstairs with children. And my stepdad gets gets dropped up. I watch the folks downstairs. They walk out in handcuffs with no bruises or scratches on them whatsoever. And we had nothing to do with it. The, 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 uh, I lived in the North End. And there was something happening and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, I got folks on my front porch. I, I get ready to open up the door and realize, hold up, wait a minute. They're raising someplace like that. And I announce myself. Like, who's in the front steps? I'm about to open my door. Now I'm in the hyperware and I'm walking through protocols. It, this, when you talk about the culture and the biases and stuff like that, I, I mean, they're, 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 the fact that we can roll off these encounters so often should tell mm-hmm. us something about the entire system of its own. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit done. Um, with trying to work or anybody who's going to come to me and tell me, you know, all of these avenues about working through systems, because we've done that. We've tried that for so many years. It's not working. At some mm-hmm. point, something has to give. And, and, and you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to chew on and, it's, and folks don't like to hear it. But, but it was that precinct coming down that made that woman sleep. And so it, it, it may be that folks need to lose their jobs and positions in order for us to 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 be in a space of of sleeping, being able to sleep better, or or at least know that there's some house cleaning ha- actually happening. 
there are a lot of kids in my family, right? There are eight children. And um, of the eight children who have, of all of us who have partners, gotten married, there are three white guys in my family, right? So three of us married white guys. It was never like a super great thing, right? To like, especially with my dad, like half my daughters married white guys. But now he like is, is kind of like super appreciative of it when we go places in greater Minnesota. Mm. It's one of those situations. He's like, mm. he's not going to send his son to the store to pick anything up. He's going to send one of the white guys. And you know what? The white guys get it. They're like, yep, okay, give me a list. We'll go to, you know, two of us will go down to the store and buy everything that needs to be bought. And it's those, you know, how sad is it that that we have to be thinking about that all the time in our own state? You know, we're on vacation. We're trying to be on vacation with our family. And we just need a couple mm. of things, you know, toilet paper and some butter and, you know, things that we forgot. And we have to be very strategic about how we get those things. And this is something that we live with daily. And, and I don't think that white people even understand that those are things we have to take into consideration when we're outside of our homes. And now, you know, really even inside of our homes. Um, you know, I had a cousin and um, one of their kids was, you know, doing drug dealing and the police raided their home. Well, the thing is, is their home is multi-generational. And grandma, great grandma was home. And, you know, all of his siblings and their children were home and, you know, they were all there for the raid. It was, it was, you know, th that's something they didn't take into consideration is like, yeah, it, this kid is, is doing some bad stuff, but he lives in this house with um, multi-generational families, lots of people that are affected by these surprise raids that's, that had nothing to do with what he was doing. You know, it, it, the, the stories go deep. You know, there's even a county commissioner serving in Ramsey County um, who, you know, I was, as I was listening to them to run for office, shared um, uh, she's married to a Latinx man. And they, they made a call to police officers and they zeroed in and clued in on him, her husband. And she had to run out and like, Jeez. you know, interrupt like this is this is that pattern in culture that I hear you talking about, Don, that 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 we are just. You know, there, there, there seems to be this wiring to jump on to the exact opposite folks. And in doing so, we're not even doing our jobs because we're focused on the wrong people based on our own bias and stuff that's coming in. So I'm, 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 I'm curious, you know, what are folks seeing becoming the ask? I know I have an ask. Some folks need to go. But, but I'm curious what is coming up on community and from your perspectives on what you're, how you're seeing folks mobilized to the asks now that we're, we're moving through processing this recent event. Well, one of the asks that people have made literally and, and, and geographically placing their own bodies to like make the statement was when we pulled up to Amelia um, Huffman's house to demand, you know, she be, um, she resigned. And... What, what what happens with that is Amelia Huffman is, a, I believe, an 18 year vet since 1994. Um, and she she's she's seen it all. I mean, like if anybody remembers the 90s in Minneapolis or the Twin Cities, <laughs> you, you know, you know that it was it was anything. I mean, it was like the Wild West at certain points. But so she knows what it is. And for her to still go up and lie and expect the same thing. Here's the crazy part. I don't I don't think I'd ever say this, but I'm pretty sure some people missed Arredondo. 
Like, mm. wow, that guy actually would have told it like it is and been like, <laughs> we need to get rid of some of these folks. Um, but what happened when we pulled up to Amelia Huffman's house and it was in a very, um, it was in a neighborhood that had million dollar property average. Um, a white woman pulled up during a black man giving a speech and she said, you know, um, he was talking about comfort. You know, you have to compromise your comfort uh, for us to, while we're compromising our lives. And a white woman pulled up and she said, well, what kind of gun did he have? Uh, talk, speaking about Mir Locke. And everybody stopped for like two or three seconds like, what the <laughs> F? And... Then somebody shouted, what does it matter? And then I shout, you know, what right, the hell does it matter? Right. Yeah. And then she starts saying, well, I feel uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable. And I said, there it is right there. Mm-hmm. And this is why there's every, I mean, every year, there's about a group of several friends of color that are like, you know, Tucson, um, giving them hell. You know, it's been a great run here. Um, but I'm, I'm leaving town. And I get it. Mm. And it, yeah, years ago, Minnesota uh, was the... It was rated as one of the most unwelcoming states in the country uh, economically because it was it had more people leaving than coming in. And two of the top demographics leaving were people that came in from out of town to get work and would look around and just be like, this place is crazy. Nobody's talking to me. Uh, and then the other demographic was young professionals of color because of the exorbitant uh, amount of passivity, racism, um, white fragility, and just instances that just were extremely uh, unwelcoming to people of color. And so with that said, that woman thought that it was her place to ask that question to a group of 100 people demanding justice for a black man shot in the middle of his sleep. And she felt that was okay. That's what has to change. Don't don't get me started on white women and the things that they feel entitled to comment on, okay? Oh, goodness. Oh, you done lit lit (laughs) Clee up. Okay, okay. Don't get me started. (laughs) But the amount of that, times white women have told me how to live my life. Ugh. But it's it's that ente- entitlement, that privilege, and and the fact that they think that they just own that space, and um, yeah, you know, and that's what I was alluding to. This, you know, the, the um, a friend of mine that I trained to be an organizer very early in my career, you know, was kind of just asking these questions that was along the same line of this woman saying, well, what kind of gun was it? Well, that has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with it whatsoever, right? But it it threatened them. And and that's where, you know, that's where we're going, that's where we're going to go in the next week or two or three or whatever, is that, you know, this, the narrative that we're going to start getting on media is going to start shifting and, and um, you know, we, we've talked about this in, in, in some of our other podcasts around around Jamar Clark, around Philando Castillo, around, you know, that how the narrative continues to shift to keep that blame on the victim. And and we're, you know, I, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it's it i don't know it it it's sickening because we're we're like you said hilly and and anthony you, we've been doing counter stories we started counter stories as an opportunity just to be able to share our perspectives and we find ourselves at the same spot time and time again now granted some of those happened elsewhere but the last four have all been, well, one, two, yeah, the last four or five have all been here. 
in the in the Twin Cities. And that's sickening. And it's it's like, you know, we need some kind of change. We need systemic change. And even though I agree with the asks looking to replace the interim police chief, she's not even going to make it out of being interim police chief, I hope, and replacing the mayor. The problem is, 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 is that those are just parts, you know, just parts. And if we just continually change the parts, we're not really changing the system. And so that's part of the frustrating. I do agree. They need to go. I mean, you know, I, they, they need to go, but how do we, how do we change this system? My ask would be um, to be friggin' uncomfortable. Just be uncomfortable. I mean, let yourself, and don't talk the talk and be like, oh, I'm so open-minded and I love to, you know, I talk with other people, different views all the time, blah, blah, blah. Like like this lady who asked that question, well, what kind of gun he had? And then all of a sudden, I'm uncomfortable, so I'm going to, you know, just flee. And I see that a lot. It's like we start talking about some issues that folks get uncomfortable around, and they're like, yeah, I got to go. You know, and they leave because they don't want to have those conversations. Well, just let yourself be freaking uncomfortable for a while just so you can have that understanding of what other people are going through daily. People that you might see every day, people you work with, people in your family, you know, just be freaking uncomfortable. Well, I mean... Lee, uh, and I thank you, Lee and Don and, and Toussaint for for you know being willing to just unpack and, and, and engage in this kind of in this conversation. You know, I'm I'm reminded often of of the fact that there there needs to be consequences, and sometimes we want to make those consequences through policy. But but I have a feeling that that at some point there has to just be an unwillingness to 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 go with it. You know, I think. Leading up to these moments, we have more and more folks of color, in particular, who are are coming to a space of being unwilling to to play the dance and play the game for other folks' comfort, and and they have just resolved that you're going to think the same thing to me about me anyway. I might as well be my full self and tell you about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 to start to your point about the folk demographics leaving, I think that is is something to continue with, right? Uh, unfortunately. Um, you know, our organizing and the way that we see those things around, you know, still allow that person to come up in that million dollar average area, say they're uncomfortable and, and, and go home and and be able to check out and put that on the shelf and go on about your life business. There's not a long term effect um, until there un, un, until there is something that affects you, um, you know, just human nature side. It's hard to get movement. Right. It's hard to get. You know, to say even to your point, Don, even if heads roll or people lose their positions, um, that somebody else is going to come up there and just keep the system going as it is um, and keep it moving forward because there's an even more powerful block of folks who are unaffected by the deaths of black and brown bodies, who don't have to check into that, who see no effect on their daily life. And, and, and unfortunately, and I'm saying this as a pastor, the moral argument only goes so far. Right, the moral mm-hmm. argument only holds weight for so long before comfort takes in and undoes all of it. Right, so I, 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 I thank you all for bringing those asks forward. But at at the end of the day, we might need to, you know, it, it's going to cause some folks to reevaluate: Is this the place that I'm going to continue to to be rooted and invest? And it's hard, and it may not necessarily make change in this area, but some of those signals need to need to be given, and and 
and, and it's hard to figure out where those signals are going to come from. This one, this one hits different and it hits hard and it leaves me in a bigger space of wondering, is change possible? It's, it has shaken the resolve of this person who can usually find hope down the line. Um, and that hope may be going to Panama, where I walked around and watched very militaristic-looking police folks that looked like me and never once raised uh, a, a, a worry that they were there to solely to whoop my behind. <laughs> and in, and in even better to see them dap each other up and to be able to have conversations in there. There's just a different feel. And they, they had a more militaristic presence in the areas that we were than, than I usually see here. And yet, none of that fear was raised up. We've got a lot of questions to, to go as we put these counter stories forward. I want to thank you for all joining us today. I'm Reverend Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church, Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner of Dendros Group. I'm Halili, owner of The Other Media Group and producer of Counter Stories. I'm Don Eubanks, um, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. And my name is Toussaint, a community member and organizer and creative uh, director of Onsite Public Media. This has been Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. We'll see you next time. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the other media group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com.